The topic of, uh, of my message today is tradition. And I, I went to my wife and said, Honey, I'm having the most difficult time trying to figure out an opening illustration for my sermon. And she said, Well, what's the sermon about? And I said, Well, it's about tradition. And she looked at me and she went, Tradition! Tradition! And I kind of looked at her like, What just happened? And I, I said, uh, okay. And she looked at me like, are you kidding? And I said, what? And she says, are you kidding? I says, what? And she goes, tradition, tradition. And I looked at her and I was like, am I supposed to know something here? Needless to say, my wife is extremely ashamed of me these days. And if you don't know what I'm singing, you will in just a moment. The video you're about to watch, it is poor quality, I'll I'll, I'll warn you, but listen to the great lyrics. And how do we keep our balance? That I can tell you in one word. Tradition! traditions. We've kept our balance for many, many years. Here in Anatevka, we have traditions for everything. How to sleep, how to eat, how to work, how to wear clothes. For instance, we always keep our heads covered and always wear a little prayer shawl. This shows our constant devotion to God. You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. (laughs) But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, Every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. What do you think? Yes? All right. So now, I'm not uh, musical theater illiterate. Uh, I've, I've since uh, confessed my sins of not knowing the song to Fiddler on the Roof. How many of you did not know that song? Raise your hand. Good. I am not alone. I am not alone. I am not the only uh, musical theater illiterate person in the room. Tradition. Tevye, the main character in Fiddler on the Roof, was wrapped up in tradition. He had all sorts of traditions, as he made mention of in our video today. Traditions of how to sleep, how to eat, how to work, 
how to wear clothes. Didn't know where those traditions came from, though, did he? At the end of the, uh, uh, one portion of the film, he goes on to say, Traditions, traditions. Without our traditions, our lives would be as shaky as a fiddler on the roof. Well, here this morning, I want to explore the idea and the topic of traditions. Is it true that without tradition, our lives would be as shaky as a fiddler on the roof? What is the place of tradition in our lives today as Christians, as those who are seeking to to live out the Word of God and to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? What is the place of tradition? Do we need it? Do we not need it? What does the Word of God have to say about it? The title of my message today is The Rightful Place of Tradition. The Rightful Place of Tradition. And this morning we are continuing our study in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in Mark at the end of chapter 6, verse 53. And we're going to see a brief story and then move on to our main story about the topic of tradition. So turn, if you will, to Mark chapter 6 beginning in verse 53 all the way to 7.13. And we are going to learn a little bit today about the topic of tradition. Mark 6, beginning in verse 53. It says this, Now when they, that is Jesus and the disciples, had crossed over the Sea of Galilee, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. And when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized Jesus and they ran through that whole surrounding region and began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard He was. Whenever Jesus entered into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged Him that they might just touch the hem of His garment. And as many as touched Him were made well. Chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to Him, having come from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of His disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Verse 5, Then the Pharisees and the scribes, they asked Jesus, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? Jesus answered and said to them, Well, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honors Me with their lips, but their heart is far from Me. And in vain they worship Me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you Pharisees hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. And He said to them, All too well, You reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. 
For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you, Pharisees, you say, if a man says to his father and mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is korban, that is a gift to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the Word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. Let's pray. Father, I, we ask Your help this morning. We need Your help to understand Your Word every time we read it. And so we ask, Lord, that Your Spirit would be upon this time of consideration of Your Word. And that this wouldn't just be a time of knowledge and of gleaning uh, information, but a time of transformation, a time of introspection, considering how Your Word is telling us to live differently. I pray that you just bless this study. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 53 again to 56. And when they had crossed over, the, Jesus and the disciples, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. And when they had come out of the boat, immediately the people recognized Jesus. And they ran throughout that whole surrounding region and began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard He was. And whenever he entered into villages, cities, or in the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. Our story in Mark this morning is in the midst of a whirlwind of ministry for Jesus and the disciples. Now, those of you who have been following along in the Sundays past, we've come through the feeding of the 5,000. We've come through the experience on the Sea of Galilee with Jesus walking on the water and calming the wind and the waves and the disciples marveling at what He had done. And now, that boat has now anchored in a new village, the village of Gennesaret on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee, not far from Capernaum, which was primarily the, the, the home base, if you will, of Jesus and the disciples. And the people come from all around and seek healing. And notice verse 56 carefully. It says, Whenever Jesus entered into villages, cities, or in the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged Him that they might just touch the hem of His garment. The hem of His garment. And as many as touched Him were made well. I want to make two quick observations about verse 56. And you might be wondering, does this have anything to do with the topic of tradition today? I think you'll find a fascinating answer to that. Take a look closely at verse 56. In verse 56 where it says, the hem of His garment. The Greek word there is krospodon. Krospodon. The word hem. Meaning edge or tassel. Something that might, uh, a tassel that might flow off the edge of a Jewish garment. Now that might not seem very significant to us, but it was very, a significant word to the Jews of Jesus' day because that word would have brought to remembrance of something that they were told to do in the Old Testament law. Take a look at Numbers chapter 15. It says, again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel, Moses. And this is what I want you to tell them. Tell them to make tassels. The Greek word to translate this Hebrew word is krospodon. Tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue thread in the tassel of the corners 
tassels of the corners, and you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. It's very likely that when the Bible speaks of the hem of Jesus' garment, which on a couple of occasions it does, it's very likely that Jesus is practicing this mosaic, uh, this aspect of the Mosaic Law. That He was one of the Jews who paid close attention to this aspect of the law and had these tassels on His garment as a symbol as a, 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 a symbol that represents doing God's commands, remembering God's commands. And so we might see here uh, Jesus very stringently following the, the law of Moses. Now, why is that significant? Hold that thought for just a moment. Let's return to the text. Secondly, my second observation about verse 56, notice where it says they begged Jesus that they might touch, that they might touch the hem, the crossbadon of his garment. Now this comment should draw our attention to another story in Mark. Does anybody remember the story? Mark chapter 5, the story of the bleeding woman. That's right, I heard somebody say it. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 25, there's a story about a bleeding woman. And this woman is severely afflicted, right? She, the, the, so we're not going to turn there, but the story in Mark 5 tells us of a woman who dealt with a, an irregular flow of blood for 12 years. 12 years. She had spent all her money on endless doctor visits, but the ailment only grew worse. And yet despite the fact that she had this ailment for 12 years, despite the fact that she'd thrown all her money at it, despite the fact that none of it was getting worse and the physical problems were increasing, there was something else that was causing this woman more pain. There was something else that was causing this woman more pain. I submit to you that what caused this woman more pain than anything was not the bleeding, was not the fact that it was growing worse, was not the fact that she had spent all of her funds... What caused her the most pain was the fact that in her community, she was unclean. You see, in the Jewish community of that day, a woman who was perpetually bleeding, that blood would make her unclean according to the Jewish law. And if she was unclean, that meant she could not fully participate in the community. It meant she was refused entry to the temple, to the synagogue, It meant she was refused participation in the Jewish religious feasts. If there was ever a woman who despaired of her life, it was this woman. Not only was she bleeding every day, but her family and all who knew her viewed her as inferior, unfit, unclean. She was an outcast in her own environment. And Jesus healed this woman. Read about the story in Mark 5. He he healed her, and when he did, he gave her so much more than the cessation of physical blood. He gave her so much more than the cessation of physical blood. He restored her completely to Jewish life. He made her clean again so she could worship again. Now, why do I bring these observations up? What's so important about the tassel of Jesus' garment? 
What's so important about the touching of the tassel on Jesus' garment? Well, as we enter chapter 7, the topic of discussion is going to turn to two things. Cleanliness and commandments. Cleanliness and commandments. The Pharisees are going to bring a charge against Jesus' disciples and they're going to say, Aha! Unclean! Your disciples are unclean. They're eating bread with unwashed hands. Unclean. They're not keeping to our traditions, our rabbinical commandments. Unclean. And Jesus is going to clarify for the Pharisees and all who listen about what true cleanliness looks like. He's going to shed light on the vast difference between the tradition of the elders and the commandments, the Word of God. And so it's not happenstance that Mark introduces the story in chapter 7 with what he does in 656. Talking about the tassel, reminding people of the commandments of God. And the touching of the tassel, reminding people of becoming clean again. Scripture is always filled with great symbolism and meaning upon closer inspection. Let's go to our main text now today. Chapter 7, verse 1. It says, Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to Jesus, having come from Jerusalem. Now we've got to define our terms here. What's a Pharisee? What's a scribe? And what does it mean that they've come from Jerusalem? A Pharisee, to be brief, uh, many, you're all very familiar with this, but a Pharisee was one who was a strict follower and doer of the Mosaic Law. They were very much considered some of the highest religious leaders in Israel. And they were keepers, guardians, and followers, doers of the Mosaic Law. The scribes were different from the Pharisees. The scribes were kind of... These guys are kind of like Batman and Robin here, okay? The scribes are the interpreters of the law. The interpreters... The clarifiers, almost like the commentators of the Mosaic Law. And so together you have the scribes who interpret and clarify the law, and the Pharisees who do and pay heed to the law. And, and these guys, these guys are Batman and Robin in first century Israel, okay? They're a tandem, a, a powerful force in Israel, in Jewish religious life. And the significance of the words from Jerusalem, folks, we're dealing with an entirely new group of opposition to Jesus. Uh, they've come once, but here they are the second time in Mark, coming from Jerusalem. Jerusalem has sent a delegation of authorities to Galilee. They're hearing more about this Jesus, and they're realizing that their Galilean leaders can't handle Him. And so they send the next step up. Uh, this is... Uh, this is uh, this is the, uh, the extra authority coming into Galilee now to pay close attention and to find fault with what Jesus is doing. And you know, when you're looking to criticize, usually you find something, right? And they do. Take a look at verse 2. Now when they, the scribes and Pharisees, saw some of His disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. 
For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And, and there are many other such thing, uh, things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. The Pharisees and scribes come from Jerusalem having that added authority. These are the big guns. And they don't, they don't hit Jesus, do they? They hit His disciples. They go to uh, the second tier there. And they, go to this, they, they see the disciples and they watch them carefully, looking to find fault, looking to criticize, looking to point out to the community that these guys aren't who they, they say they are. The Pharisees and scribes see the disciples doing something that is contrary to their practices. And they pounce on it. What do they find fault? They find fault in the eating of bread with unwashed hands. Why do they find this to be a fault? Now, they're not, they're not upset with the disciples because they lack good hygiene skills. You know, they're not, uh, this is not you know, an employee's wash your hands before you go back to work kind of a thing. Um, this is a much more serious level of washing. This is a ceremonial kind of washing that the Pharisees would have held to. Uh, this goes back also to the Mosaic Law, and in particular to the Law of the Priests, who would have to go through various kinds of cleansing before they could touch bread or handle any kind of meal. And this, so this goes back to the priestly code of the Mosaic Law. And the Pharisees are taking a priestly code and they're applying it to the disciples. Take note. They're taking a priestly code and they're applying it to the disciples. They often applied more stringent levels of the law to the common Jewish worshiper. The Pharisees often applied more stringent components of the Mosaic Law to the common Jewish worshiper. And so when they see the the, the disciples eating this bread with unwashed hands, they point and say, foul, unclean. And Mark comments even more in verses 3 and 4, Uh, regarding some of the excessive practices that they would go about doing. To be clear, the disciples would have transgressed the law had they been priests, but they weren't. They were being applied a standard which they didn't need to hold because they weren't priests. Now, in the eyes of the Pharisee, a, a disciple... A teacher is responsible for his disciples. And so rather than going to the disciples and saying, why are you doing this? They go to Jesus and say, why are they doing this? Notice verse 5. 7-5. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked Jesus, why do your disciples, whom you are responsible for, not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? Notice their question, the, tra- the, the, the clarifying element of their question. Why do they not walk according to the tradition of the elders? What is the tradition of the elders? My question very plainly. What is the tradition of the elders? If we were to make a very large and generalized statement, it would be this. The tradition of the elders is rabbinical. That means coming from rabbis. Rabbinical oral commentary 
on the law of Moses. An example of this would be the Jewish Mishnah, which is found in the Jewish Talmud. Your commentaries at home on the scriptures, you know, when you, when you say, I don't understand that scripture, so I'm going to look at a commentary, and you open it up, and you, oh, okay, now that makes a little more sense to me. The, those commentaries are just like what the Jews did in their day for the Mosaic Law. Okay? They would take the Mosaic Law, and they'd write comments on it. They'd have various scholars, various rabbis. Um, they weren't writing at the time. They were orally commenting on the Mosaic Law. And this oral tradition was passed down through the centuries, eventually written in the 2nd century A.D. And, and also later on in the 5th century A.D. But at the time, it was an oral commentary that had passed down through the ages, commenting on the meaning of the Mosaic Law. Now, when we have a commentary... You know, I always encourage people, you know what, commentaries are helpful. But guess what? Commentaries aren't the Word of God. And so anytime you have a commentary, you need to be mindful of the fact that you're getting a comment coming from a man or woman who is not God and can be fallible, right? And so we take our commentaries and we might love a commentary or, and it might be right on in, in about 90% of what we think that you know, it says, but, but we always got to approach it with an element of caution as we read a commentary. The Jews in Jesus' day were not approaching their commentary, their oral commentary, with great caution. In fact, it, it's safe to say that they were taking their commentary and elevating it above the Word of God. Warren Wiersbe says this about what the Jews had been like in this day. Warren Wiersbe comments, he says, History reveals that the Jewish religious leaders came to honor their traditions, or their commentaries, I might say, far above the Word of God. Rabbi Eleazar said, He who expounds the Scriptures in opposition to the tradition has no share in the world to come. The Mishnah states, it is a greater offense to teach anything contrary to the voice of the rabbis than to contradict Scripture itself. That's uh, some powerful statements. And Wiersbe here is quoting from the Mishnah. Now, before we go, wow, man, look at how bad they were at that. My goodness, we would never do that, right? No, Wiersbe is quick to clarify. He says, hey, and we do the same thing. And we often do, Wiersbe goes on to comment, I, I, didn't, I, I cut the quote a little bit, but if you were to read on, he says, look, and the Christian church is very often guilty of this as well. We elevate our commentary, our pastor, our, that great scholar, oh, that guy on the radio, oh, i got to listen to him, right? Above the Word of God. Be careful when you elevate commentary above the Word of God. Never should we be following a man or a, or a commentary book or anything like that. We must always keep this in great perspective. And I, and I ask you the question here. You know, we're, we're not immune to this. And so I ask the question, what about our traditions? What about the things that, that the evangelical Christian church holds to? Are there any evangelical Christian traditions? You're thinking, hmm... I don't know. I, if you can't think of any, guess what? It's because you're in them. Honestly. Think hard. Can you think of any traditions? And if you can't, you know why? Because you're in them. 
You're in the tradition. And it's so ingrained in you that you can't think otherwise. Let me give you a few examples of what I see being some evangelical Christian traditions. How about some from the past? Uh, I'm wearing it. What am I wearing? Suit and tie. Now, what I'm wearing right now is not common for South County. Is that right? Would you guys prefer that I, that I take this off now, you know, and get rid of the tie and get rid of the coat? Some say yes. Who says no? Any say no? Well, we've got a few no's. Guess what? Both of you, both of you are in tradition. Both of you are. Those that say, no, no, Neil, no, no, I want you in that suit and tie, it's your tradition that tells you that. And those of you that say, no, no, Neil, get rid of it, man. Get rid of the tie. Get rid of the coat. You're in a tradition. Tom, you're in a tradition. <laughs> All right? He's in a tradition that says, hey, man, be slack. You know? Take that coat off. Right? Right, Tom? Be kid- No, not slacker. I didn't say slacker, Tom. I said slack. Like, be a little loose is what I mean, okay? Tom, you are not a slacker. How about this tradition, folks? Prayer before meals. Uh, I know often in my family growing up, uh, when my dad would ask me to pray, I'd go, okay, you know, let me whip it out. Let me whip out the prayer. Pray before the meal. Okay, let's go. Let's eat. Tradition. What about um, hymns? Oh. Oh, no. You know, got to have hymns in church. Got to at least sing one on a Sunday or else we didn't have church. Right? And I, I tell Tom that. I say, Tom, give me one hymn. Give me one hymn because I don't want to hear about it after the service. Alright? You're in a tradition. But, but, all of you who like the contemporary praise songs, you're in a tradition. You are. You just don't realize it. You have a preference of worship over another. And that is a tradition. A few others. How about, uh, how about altar calls? Hmm. Altar calls? Yeah, altar calls. Show me the altar call in the Scriptures. Show me the come down the aisle, come forward in the Scripture. As if to say, if you don't come forward, you can't become a Christian. Right? What is that? We become a Christian by faith in Jesus Christ, right? Whether we come forward or not, you could be sitting right there right now and realize, I believe in Jesus Christ. You just became a Christian without coming forward. No, no need for an altar call. How about some coast traditions? Beach nights. Got to have our summer beach nights. Salt and pepper dinner. Everybody have a good time last salt and pepper dinner. Uh, VBS. Sorry, Monica, it is a tradition. And we need to make sure that it's not just done to be done. And you know what? Our children's director does a good job of that. She makes it relevant and, and, and biblical and exciting for these kids. And it does wonders. But it is tradition. Easter sunrise service, tradition. What if I, uh, on Easter, uh, we ne- nobody ever said to you, He is risen, He is risen indeed. You'd walk out saying, I didn't even experience Easter. Christmas candlelight service? Oh, you know we're canceling that this year. Oh, you don't know? You don't want to? Okay, sorry. And don't mess, don't mess with my Thanksgiving feast, okay? Don't mess with that. Folks, don't assume you don't have traditions. You've got them. You're thick in them. You're thick in them. And I've got one other comment about this. Uh, I want to I bring up a, 
uh, uh, I'll say a controversial figure these days. Uh, next slide is a man by the name of Brian McLaren. Some of you have heard of this man. Uh, he's, uh, he's a part of uh, what's called the Emerging Church. The Emerging Church. And uh, I'm sure some of you are familiar with it. Some of you aren't. You've got different opinions on it. I'd love to chat with you. I'm not going to utterly condemn the movement, but I am going to make some comments about it. I'm going to say this. McLaren, you know what he's trying to do? He's trying to make church relevant and fresh and new for the younger generations. This man right here, he's leading a new movement of evangelicals and he's saying we need to get rid of the past and start something relevant and fresh today, now, and he's calling it the emerging church. Here's the funny part about this new and relevant church. Guess what they're adopting? They're adopting traditions. They're adopting, they're embracing ancient liturgical worship forms. This church, the emerging church, is a movement that is saying yes to candles and to incense and to icons and to liturgy and to chanting and to doing the things that were done in the monastic traditions and the Catholic traditions way back in the ancient traditions of the Christian and Catholic church. And herein lies the irony. In an attempt to say, I want something relevant. I want something new. I want something different. I want people to experience God new and afresh. And I'm going to start a new movement. And we're going to do everything the same as was done in the past. Do you see the irony of this? It's thick. It's thick. Now, there's some good that's coming out of the emerging church. There is. There is some good. Mostly bad, I would argue. Some good, mostly bad. But I critique the man's perspective because he's telling me, I want to start something new. And I ask him, how are you going to do that? And he says, we're going to go to the ancient tradition. That's not starting something new. That's not starting something new. And so the emerging church is really an oxymoron. It's really an oxymoron. Don't swap your present set of traditions for new ones or ancient ones. That's not the point. We're going to see what we should do with traditions in just a moment, but let's get back to our text. Jesus is now responding to the Pharisees saying they're unclean. And this is what He says. He says, oh, Pharisees. Verse 6, He answered and said to them, well, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you people, you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Quoting Isaiah 29 and 13 here, Jesus says, you're just like those Israelites 700 years ago. You're just like the ones who paid me lip service while your hearts were corrupt. You're like those people who pretended to worship the Lord Jesus, His words in verse 6 and 7 are a harsh indictment of the Pharisees and scribes. But He backs up His claims. He backs up His claims. Look at verse 8 and 9. He says, For laying aside the commandment of God, you, Pharisees, hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers, cups, and many other such things you do. And He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. Jesus has two critiques. 
for the Pharisees here. These are Jesus' two critiques of the Jewish religious leadership. The first critique is this. You value your tradition more than God's Word. You value your tradition more than God's Word. That's his critique of them. The second critique is this. You are practicing your tradition at the expense of God's Word. You are practicing your tradition at the expense of God's Word. And now we come to the final section of our text today. A section that we've studied before. In fact, we studied it last year. And so I'm only going to comment briefly on it. But what we're about to read in 10, 11, and 12 is Jesus' summary argument to the Pharisees. Later on, he's going to talk to the crowds. but We'll see that next week. But it's a summary argument to the Pharisees saying, and let me give you an example of why I give you these two critiques. This is what he says. Verse 10. He says, For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you, Pharisees, this is what you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is korban, that is a gift to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. What is Korban? What is Korban? It is this. Korban was a Hebrew term that was verbally invoked on a personal possession like property or livestock as a declaration of one's intent to eventually, key word, give it to God as a temple offering. It was a personal possession, something you owned. It was verbally invoked. The person would say Korban. They'd point to it and they'd say This is Korban. As a declaration of their intent, they they were intending to do something with it, and that intention was to give it to God. To give it as a temple offering, eventually. Perhaps months, days, years, decades. Now this was a tradition in the Jewish law. It It was started with great intention great intention, as many traditions are. The tradition was established by the Jews as a way of promoting generous giving to God. Generous giving to the temple. The tradition um, was created as a means of giving them an opportunity to give to the temple treasury and that the, the, the temple priests would take that gift and would give to the poor and the needy and those who were afflicted with that, the, the monies earned. But while this tradition was set up with great intentions, it took on a life of its own and was perverted by those who participated in it. Instead of using Korban in the way that it was first intended, the Pharisees distorted the practice, ultimately using it to usurp the very Word of God in the Mosaic Law to honor one's father and one's mother. You say, how did they do that? Well, they reasoned something like this. The Pharisees did. They reasoned. They said, hey, if we verbally declare our money, our property, our livestock, indeed all that we have as korban, as a gift to God that we will one day give to the temple, then we can lawfully avoid contributing to our parents' livelihood. Yes, if we merely tell our parents that all I have now, mom and pop, all I have is korban, it's Korban. Then surely we 
cannot be obligated. We will not be obligated to help them in their time of need. We can avoid this unnecessary sacrifice and loss. And surely our parents, surely mother and father will understand. After all, we're giving it to God. Korban. What greater good could we do? They reasoned. And in so doing, folks, their tradition became a travesty. When the tradition was elevated above the command of God to honor, to care for, to love one's father and mother. When that tradition was elevated above that command, their tradition became a travesty. I have some closing thoughts for us today as we close out. Folks, realize this. Traditions, I'm not saying this. I'm not saying they're wrong. Traditions are not inherently wrong. They're not. Their value, however, is measured insofar as they fall in line with the Word of God. And so we need to esteem them and, and value them, understand their worth in relationship to God's Word. And so, secondly, it's important that we identify our traditions so that we may keep them in their rightful place, always in subjection to the Word of God. Folks, I thought very strongly about coming today without a coat and tie to illustrate this because I, I wanted to preach as an illustration of this, right? I prefer to wear a coat and tie. I'll, maybe I'll drop it one day. Okay, now I'm going to hear comments. But, but folks, keep it in its place. Just because the preacher doesn't have a coat and tie, man, that doesn't mean church isn't happening. That doesn't mean the Word isn't being preached. That doesn't mean God isn't working. Just because we're not singing a hymn or this, that, and the other... Keep your traditions in their rightful place. Identify them. Know what they are so that you can put them in subjection to God's Word. And let me add a third, and it's not on the screen, but let me say this. Don't assume, please do not assume, that adopting a new tradition, a new fad, is going to suddenly take your relationship with God to a whole new level of intimacy or a whole new level of maturity. A whole new level of spirituality. It won't. Focus on the Word of God for intimacy, for maturity, for growth with God. Not the latest fad. Focus on the Word of God, not the newest tradition. Don't look at the emerging church or the next thing that will come or the next thing that will come and, and say, well, I must, I'm missing something, so it must be that. No, what you're missing is the Word of God. And when you're embracing this, your lives will become more intimate with God, more mature. You will grow in your faith. Tevier and Fiddler on the Roof said, Traditions, traditions. Without our traditions, our lives would be as shaky as a fiddler on the roof. I disagree. I say that without the Word of God as our bedrock, our lives would be as shaky as a fiddler on the roof. Put tradition in its rightful place. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I thank You for this opportunity to read Your Word, to study it, to learn and, and glean from it. But here again, Lord, it, this is not for our heads. This is for our hearts. I pray that those in the pews today who have traditions, 
that they become aware of them. We all have them. That we'd become, that we'd identify them. Learn to put them below and beneath and in subjection to Your Word. Obedience to Your Word is what's important, Father, not our traditions. And so, Father, may this remind us to be people of grace, people of love and mercy, even when others don't keep to our traditions. That we may remind ourselves that it's Your Word that we're to keep first. Traditions are a distant, distant second. Father, we thank You for this time. In Jesus' name, Amen.